0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. So looking in verse 2, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. And, and just not to leave out here, verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. In and, and these times where we're crying out, there's no greater honor. There's no greater crown we can give back to the Lord than to put our trust in Him. So we don't miss that. But verse two: "Oh my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. Um, now we might be familiar with the Psalms. Maybe you're here this morning you're not so familiar with them. Uh, David writes a large portion of them. And some of the Psalms that David writes... We look at them, and and some have often said, this man um, seems to maybe have a case of schizophrenia. (laughs) Or perhaps he is bipolar. Um, But now in verse 2, we can add to that list, he's actually talking to himself. This man is now talking to himself. Look at, oh my soul, you have said to the Lord. He's speaking to his soul. Reminding his soul what he once had said to the Lord. So now David's speaking to himself. A man who talks to himself is considered to be crazy, right? I talk to myself. I don't know about you. Actually, the experts say this you and I have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 60 to 80,000 thoughts we have a day. And while We are all aware we're not vocalizing all of those thoughts internally. Those things are still being spoken to our souls. And David spoke to his soul. David knew what it was to speak to his soul. Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. So David knew how to speak to his soul. And he knew how to speak good things to his soul. And being that you and I have sixty to 80,000 thoughts that are flooding our minds on any given day, we would do well to learn this morning how to speak well to our soul, how to speak good things to our soul. David spoke good things. Here's what David said. You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Ultimately, what David's saying here is, um, you're God. I'm not David's being reminded of who the Lord is and who David is. And as he recognizes who the Lord is, David realizes I'm nothing. I'm no one before the Lord. Who am I? There is nothing good in me outside of the Lord. So the first thing we see in this quest of looking for contentment in troubling times is that David uh, Is looking upward. okay? And now we're going to see moving into verse 3. That David's going to start to look outward. As he's looking outward in verse 3. It says, as for the saints who are on the earth. They are the excellent ones. And whom is my delight. Now if we were to just read through all of Psalm 16. As one flowing thought. We would look at that third verse. and, And almost question its place in there. It kind of seems a little bit random at first read. It's just like, all of a sudden, uh, they are the excellent ones in, in whom is all my delight. David talking about the saints, talking about his brothers and sisters and the Lord. It kind of seems randomly thrown in there. And so, maybe someone could now pin David for being ADDs all over the place. He can't keep a thought. What's wrong with this guy? But actually, what David was showing to us Um, is the reality of what it looks like to be in love with the Lord. Because when we're in love with the Lord, our our immediate, our next, and, and the overflow of that is going to be to focus on others. So this was not random. This was not out of place. This is actually evidence that David has found himself communing with the Lord because what's on his mind is people. You know, we say, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. We, we see that so closely connected to our love of the Lord. Now, I, I mentioned this, we're uh, standalone teachings. Um, a lot of the things that are in this psalm, and I came across this just in my devotions uh, over the last few weeks. I didn't pick this song because I have it all figured out. All right? I picked it because the things that were in it are convicting to me. The things that are in it have been speaking to me. And so, especially in this area, um, you know, I realize in life we, we cannot come across as if it's all high fives with God. And then when it comes to our brother and sister, we give them the cold shoulder. David's bringing that reality to the table for us this morning. We, we cannot get alone with God. We cannot love Him and not love others. This is uh, all of the ministry that John was seeking out to accomplish in first, John as he talks about uh, if we say we love God but hate our brother, then we've deceived ourselves in that. So, moving on to verse four, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. So, David's still looking out. He's still surveying the land, and now he's looking on at the wicked people. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. You know, serving the Lord is not always easy. There are difficulties when it comes to serving the Lord, but not so in the same manner as with those who run after another God. Their sorrows, their pains, their hurts and difficulties, Scripture says, are multiplied. They're growing. They're intensifying. Their sorrows shall be multiplied. Other gods never present themselves to us in the name of sorrow. Do they? No, they come to us in the name of seduction. They come to us in the name of deliverance. In the name of, um, I have some way of helping you escape the pain or get away from the pain. When in reality, those other gods are the very source and cause of intensifying and multiplying and growing our hurts and our pains. Who do you know that would knowingly run to their own hurt? They would knowingly run to their own sorrow. This type of multiplication in the negative sense uh, is is not an equation that you and I uh, should want to get to know about. And some people hate math. You don't even like the word equation. Um, Here's the equation to stay away from. Other gods. Stay away from other gods. Why? Your sorrow will be multiplied. Look at what David said. I will not. David says, I will not. When it comes to other gods, I will not. What would it be like in the power of the Spirit to be able to say that? I will not. As regards to other gods, I'm not going to partake in the gods the way that they do with their drink offerings of blood. Craziness, nor take up their names on my lips. David says, I will not. But I know for myself, perhaps for you, so often it's easy to run to these other gods. There's not a whole lot that gets me uh, running in this life. Actually, physically running, the last time I can recall that I physically ran was when I got engaged uh, to my wife. And we were on vacation down in Southern California. We were out for a walk at the beach. we were coming back. uh, And she starts to run. And I'm like, I hate running. But the the love I have for her grips me so strong. So I just start running begrudgingly. But there's this force just gripping me to keep running. But what I think... We see in that word run as it's graphic imagery of how much of a grip other gods can have on you and I. Even though they bring sorrow, pain. Running, I hate running. It's painful. But yet, for the the cause of what I was running for, it had me gripped. The pain, I, I couldn't see it at the time. No one in their right mind... Runs after sorrow. We can take that other God, whatever your other God might be, and just name it this sorrow. Replace the name of it and just name it sorrow. You know, it, we travel uh, quite a bit within uh, Potter's Field ministry, and it, at the airport, when you see someone running, you think to yourself, man, this person, they're in a hurry. You know, they've got somewhere that uh, they need to be. They're going somewhere. If you had the chance to stop that person and ask them, Hey, uh, where are you running? I bet you 10 times out of 10, you would never hear someone saying, I'm running to my own sorrow. But the reality is that's how silly it is sometimes for, for us when we go running after other gods. That that should be our answer to where we're going. We're going to our own sorrow, hurt, pain, deep distress. That's what this word sorrow is. David, in a vulnerable place, remember our context, preserve me, could be likened with being on death row, and yet David says, I will not. David's not looking for an easy way out. He's not looking, looking to pick in other gods, maybe seemingly more tangible, maybe seemingly have more to offer him in the moment. He's not leaning in on his own understanding. What are other gods? The thing that we put before God can become uh, another or an other god. It can be a lot of good things that become that. Uh, Family, friends, currently for me, my house, that's my personal confession, living back in my house built in 1918, um, it can become a God. There's so much to do with it. It can get between myself and Him. Um, Now, I'm not bashing these things. Netflix, Amazon Prime, I am a member. Uh, the, The most recent... Addiction I've heard about through my wife, Wayfair. Uh, apparently, that's quite gripping these days. Um, at least that's what the bank account showed. So, um, no, she's, she's very frugal. <laughs> so, in our conquest for contentment, we have David looking upward. We have David looking outward. And now David is going to take a look inward. Inward. And verse 5, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Verse 6, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Um, I actually like in the ESV that says, uh, You are, I believe, my chosen portion. And that word portion, just as it would put it in the New King James um, the The literal idea is that this was a choice David has made to uh, look at the Lord and say, You are my portion, you are my inheritance. this is a a choice that's been made, and now my cup um, i don't know I was thinking about that is that to, to me at first, a cup does not necessarily sound. Um, like something that you would, very flattering, you know. Uh, I think for me, I probably wouldn't um, try to uh, come to my wife and and be sweet with her and call her my cup. I don't know if she would take that as an offense or or how she would respond to that. Um, It's not perhaps the most romantic language at first, or so it would seem. But when we think about a cup, just think about a cup for a moment. Um, I've been in community living for some while, and down in Guatemala, where uh, the Ignite Training School through Pottersfield Field uh, was hosted and facilitated, we had a, a compound there that we used to live on. And um, there's in community living, you look for those ways to have little personal things that are different from others. And you know, for me, was my my mug. All right. I had this mug, I had a cup, and everybody knew it was mine. And if anyone touched it, I made sure they knew, um, that's not yours. This is my mug. Um, it became so known that as I would travel back to the States, I had some interns uh, sending me messages, kind of taunting me, hey, can we use your mug? Um, I remember one time I got a picture of someone acting as if they were drinking out of my mug. But people knew that was my cup. I was very possessive about it. And I just thought, you know, David also had a cup. I wonder how much people knew about his cup. How much people saw that he was possessive about the Lord. And what is a cup? A cup just simply is a vessel. A vessel for what? That holds what has the ability to quench our thirst it has the ability to satisfy us so david looks at the lord and says and the lord you hold my cup you hold what in and of itself has the ability to satisfy me has the ability uh, to fulfill me and so this is this is actually uh, a statement of the highest level here for david to say to the lord you are my cup and now we see you maintain My lot. When I first read that, I just wanted to take a deep breath. You maintain my lot. There's so much freedom in that. Just knowing that in the Lord, when we choose the Lord, He looks at our lot in life and says, I will maintain it, I will keep it. You don't have to try, you don't have to work. Um, We have a ranch property with 40 acres. And there's a joke in the springtime. You start mowing the grass on one part of the property and by the time you've made it to the next uh, or to the other side, you're ready to start over once again where you first picked up. It's just this constant cycle of maintaining and, and no matter how hard you try to keep up on it, you just can't. There's, there's more grass than there is guys and equipment to keep up with it. And in and, um, and the same are just attempt, attempting to, you know, I mentioned my house here in Whitefish, built in 1918. Um, maintaining something that's over hundred years old is not easy. You discover fun stuff like mold, which we've been uh, taking care of. Thankfully, we've gotten it taken care of. But, um, you know, also when it comes to maintaining, when, when we take something by force, with whatever force you're going to use to take something, you will have to, with equal or greater force, keep using that to keep it. And there again, how exhausting it is as we try and maintain, when in reality we can choose the Lord as our portion, as our cup, and He will maintain our lot. I love that. That, for me, um, is, brings great freedom. So in verse 6... David's looking inward, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Um, Now, this verse specifically, and this was one of the other things that led me to this chapter, happens to be one of my wife's favorite verses. Um, Now, I like to think that this is her favorite verse because she thinks of me when she thinks about this. The lines have fallen in pleasant places. Um, But... The harsh reality for me to receive is that long before I was, um, this was her favorite verse. Why? It has to do with the Lord. For her, her inheritance in the Lord, what she has in the Lord. But the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. This word fallen tells us a lot about the character of God. You know, when we choose the Lord, we're doing something. We're giving up control. We're choosing the lot where the lines fall. You see, it doesn't say the lines have been built for me. That would have the idea from the ground up. But when something falls, it has the idea of coming from above and coming down to us. It has the idea um, that this cannot, is not a work of man. This is, again, not ground up, but from heaven above, down below. The lines have fallen, the Lord Is in control. Where have they fallen? In pleasant places. Okay. Context. This is a troubling time. David is in. And yet he's able to look at this time. As he's looking in. As he's looking up. As he's looking out. Communing with the Lord. He's able to say. The lines have fallen for me. In pleasant places. Pleasant places. I started to think about that. What can bring a person to say that troubling times are pleasant? Pleasant. Um, Well, David, he knew where his boundaries of his dwelling place came from. Um, There's these oils out there. I'm not a big oils guy. My wife is. I don't know how she made it in so much this this morning. Um, My wife loves the oils, the essential oils. Uh... Whenever someone's sick or there's word that people are sick, I have to take this on guard stuff. Nasty. um, Horrible. However, I'm told it's good for me. And so as I take it, knowing that in and of itself on guard is good for me, I forcibly resonate. I know this is good for me. I don't feel it. I don't taste it. But I know it's good for me. Why? The origin is good. When we understand the origin. And in this case for David. The origin is that from the Lord. The lines have fallen. David's able to know that the Lord is good. Therefore whatever comes his way is good. By nature of the origin of where it's coming from. And who it's coming from. Even though it might not taste good. Even though it might not feel good, for David, his contentment in these troubling times came from the fact of which it came from the Lord. And his life was in the Lord's hands. Alright, verse 7. Still looking in, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel... My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Um, I don't know why I just love this phrase "night seasons." Maybe because it's odd. Don't really hear that. I don't um, not used it much in conversation. But night seasons. So I've looked into it a little bit more. But um, David's heart instructs him. But be careful in that. For first, God gives him counsel. So because remember, the heart's deceitfully wicked above all else. So don't just go out of here going, my heart is going to instruct me, and at night. Uh, that could be even more dangerous. Uh, no, David's saying first, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart instructs me in the night seasons. So what's our heart instructing us in, and specifically in the evenings What's your nightly routine? Um, now, hold on if you're not a night person and you go, I'm getting out of all of this. But to me, it seems, seems the easiest way is to go um, and look on at what a person is doing when it's in their mind, me time. For me, the evenings, that's when, when everything's done, the day's over, now the baby's to sleep. Um, it's, it's me time at that point. I guess perhaps one of the quickest ways we can see where our heart is at is what we're drawn to, what we're inclined to in in the me time. You know, the mornings, for me at least, I get up and it's, it's beat your flesh into submission um, because you have to prepare yourself for the day and the day is just, you're grinding away and um, it's it's not so much about you. There's sacrifice that's taking place. Just for me in the act of getting up, I've I've already sacrificed. So um, I'm starting the day off sacrificially. And so, but by the end of the day, I think the night seasons can reveal a lot to us about where the heart is at. Now, for you morning people who aren't night owls and you think you're getting out of this, we will be figurative for a moment. If you look up this... Phrase, night seasons, figuratively actually means um, a shadow. So it also just simply means hidden places. Again, going back to this idea of me time. You can have me time in the middle of the day, you can have me time in the morning, at night. The time is not so much important in that regard as it is where you are hiding in the shadows. Now, for David, the counsel of God had made it somewhere. Where did the counsel of God make it in David's life? It made it into his heart. The counsel of God made it into David's heart, and therefore it was safe for him to allow his heart to instruct him, even in the alone times, even in the quiet of, of the night. It was safe. You know, I wonder for us where is the counsel of God going in our own lives? Is it staying uh, bound between the leather of of this Bible, or is it penetrating into our hearts? Um, I want to read a proverb. Proverbs three, uh, chapter three, verse three. Proverbs three tells us let not mercy and truth forsake you bind them around your neck this is in regards to truth write them on the tablet of your heart so should my interpretation of that scripture be that what i need to do with the word of god is just put it around my neck um, so then i should get the word tattooed on my neck or i should wear it on a necklace um, is that to be the interpretation of the Scripture? Or further yet, to write it on the tablet of, of the heart? Um, I'm, I'm the shallow type of person. I'll just let you in here for a second. Okay, I bought these readers' Bibles um, for how they looked. They have like a vintage look to them. I've probably opened them up and read them prior to the day I bought them. Um, other than that, I already knew these are being bought to sit... On the coffee bar because they will look cool. Um, is that going to instruct me? Will, will the word sitting there looking cool instruct me? Will it tattooed on my skin instruct me? No. The word has to get into your heart before it's going to bind up your neck. See, the word of God is going to control your neck. It's going to control what you look at. It's going to control where you go. But if it's not entered into the heart, the heart is what controls the neck. And so the next question can be, then, where's your neck? And what I mean by that, what are you looking at? What's the direction that you're going in? Again, David here is saying, the Lord has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me. His heart could safely instruct him because the word of God had made it into the heart. Now, we're on a conquest for contentment. We've seen um, already great things, but there's still just a few more things as we're going to close out. Really, one final thought with a few points. So, I say that sounds better. Okay, helps you guys get through the next few minutes. Um, but David is now finally, he's looked upward, he's looked outward, he's looked inward, and now he's looking beyond David's looking beyond, and so we see in verses 8 through 11, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand our pleasures forever, ever more. So the first thing here, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I have set the Lord always before me. The the secret to contentment in troubling times. I have set... Actually, I uh, have set the Lord... Always before me? What it would be like to say that under the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, ultimately, these scriptures, there's only one who has perfectly fulfilled these scriptures, is Christ. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, starts to show us what's so gold about this psalm. We say it's a golden psalm. The gold in this psalm, um, well, What makes it golden? It's the gold, of course, right? It's the gold. Wouldn't it be the gold? Um, What's golden in this is that David is seeing a picture of the gospel. And these words were quoted by Peter referencing the life, death, and burial, and, and ascension and resurrection of Christ. So these words, and and David's getting this picture of the gospel. Um, But as he says this, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. Where? Before Him, but specifically where? At my right hand. Um, Now, car manufacturers understand the importance of things being within Arms reach, specifically as you're driving your right hand. Uh, We have a cup holder. Uh, All that we need in the car is accessible. Where? To your right hand. Um, They don't put it in the trunk and then put you up in the driver's seat. Because there's no possible way you could be going down the interstate, simultaneously getting into the trunk to get your drink, to... To have a drink of it, you need it to be there next to your right hand. It has the idea of accessibility. has the idea of nearness, of being close to you. David saying, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. And again, remember, these two uh, are the thoughts and a picture of what we have of the life of Christ. And surely we fall short. And this surely even David fell short in this. But in this moment, in the power of the Spirit, and the witness of the Spirit, He's writing these things uh, to us. So, four little mini points that are very, very quick. Okay, and they're all tied to this one thing. I've set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. First thing, I shall not be moved. Alright, when we set the Lord before us, this is the secret to contentment in troubling times, put the Lord before you. Not something between you and Him. So often in life, there's things before us and God, but He needs to be before us. Him. Him alone. Um, How in the world I shall not be moved. Not, um, I won't be moved just a little bit, or I won't be moved very far. Um, No, I shall not be moved. Period. No movement. Uh, I was thinking, if, if, my life, and perhaps ours, was to be, and the movement of it, was to be demonstrated in a little remote control car. You ever an RC car? Um, think of the kind that spin in circles, and they actually do flips while spinning in circles. And they can bounce off stuff, and it, that doesn't stop them. They just keep moving. Um, Sometimes I feel like if if my life and the way that I get moved was to be pictured through any, any other object, it would look like that RC car that's just spinning around, flipping, bouncing off stuff, and nothing's stopping it. It's just everything's moving. All about it. And yet, here David is saying, I shall not be moved. Why? I've set the Lord before me. Where is he? Oh, he's at my right hand. He's near me. I'm close to him i don't have to go running and looking for him i shall not be moved therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices or my whole being that's the idea there with the glory the whole being i just the idea of anything whole to me is amazing It's awesome. Just whole has the idea of life. I was thinking about it this way. Um, When you go to a restaurant and you see your food coming up, you start to get really excited. Why? There's a plate. And and the plate is what? It's full. At least if you're at a good restaurant, they actually will even sometimes just put things to fill the space. Because what we want is a full plate. We all want to see it whole. We want to see the cup full to the top. Who would be excited if they went out to a restaurant, ordered a meal, and there came an empty, dirty plate and an empty cup with just the residues of some juice that had been in it? Um, no one gets going over that. But we get excited. We we can't. We start to salivate as we see that plate full of food. And, and this is David's now saying, my, my whole being, you know, just the idea of whole things, of, of all of me. And we'll see more, as he says too, in your presence is fullness of joy. But first we see here, my flesh also will rest in hope. Or, ESV, dwells secure. For someone like myself who knows what it is to get insecure, just hearing that word that my flesh can be secure in the Lord, that's amazing as well. Okay, Because the Lord is before me. I've set the Lord always before me. My flesh will also rest in hope or dwell secure. And finally, verses 10 and 11. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So David here is getting uh, some glimpse of... The the reality of afterlife, of the reality of immortality, of the reality of eternal life. And spent where with you, you will show me, verse 11. The path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David getting this picture of the gospel. uh, Remember as we said in Acts 2, Peter quoting this. um, But... The gospel. The the person who has set the Lord before them. The the secret to contentment. The golden song. The gold is in the gospel. The gold is in Jesus. It's in Jesus Christ. And look at here. What do we get in Christ? Fullness of joy. The, the, The heart's desire is to be fulfilled. We've been created to be fulfilled. And in Christ... That desire to be fulfilled is filled in Him. We're fully satisfied. There's fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. Again, these references to eternal life. David is just... How amazing this is. That here David's communing with the Lord before Christ has even manifested... And and God has come down in the form of man. And David's already, because of just communing with him, his soul's resonating. His soul knows well the work of Christ, the work of the gospel. This is the secret to contentment in times of trouble. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Who the Lord is and setting Him before us and what benefits you and I have because of that. So, what is the secret of finding contentment in troubling times first you got to cry out you you have to be willing to pour out there's a psalm that says pour out david's pouring out preserve me cry out be honest with the lord about where you're at what's really in there cry out and and although do not go after do not go running after other gods, but choose the Lord. And in making that choice, set the Lord before you. And look here, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, not separate from the Lord, it's at His right hand. It's the nearness with the Lord. And finally, as we saw, the Gospel as well. So, thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Selah Fellowship, please visit us on the web at org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.